Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you, ladies, for uh, this beautiful special. Thank you, uh, Brandon, for uh, conducting the service as Jimmy was uh, unable to make it tonight. Appreciate that. Appreciate the story, the children's story. And there's good news. It's spring break, so I get to preach as long as I want, right? <laughs> oh, I see the clock, and it's... It, I know with the adding the children's um, part, it's 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 going to get us out a little later, and uh, I hope that you'll give me give me a little um, leeway because I'm not going to get you out before seven with us doing the children's thing. I just know we that's not going to be possible. I invite your attention to First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. There are some passages. And I would say, especially for us in the New Testament, that are really difficult for us to understand. And historically have led to people holding very strong positions, one way or another. In fact, some of these passages have led to denominational splits. And some of the reasons why one denomination exists over another is, is simply because these difficult passages are understood differently. I suppose, Brandon suggested, and, and it probably would be a good idea that I would require you all to turn your hymn books in so you can't throw them at me tonight. But here's what I also believe. I believe sanctified people love people they disagree with. And so tonight I'm going to do my very best to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to say that from, from the foremost and most importantly, um, I'm trying to rightly divide the word of truth. I know that I will give an account before the Lord for what I say tonight. And so I'm trying to choose my words carefully. And there will be some here who will disagree with what I say. Whether it's because of training, teaching in the past, whether it's because of the way that you understand Scripture, or just because you're stubborn. I don't know. I don't know why. I can only say to you tonight that I'm going to preach as I believe it, the way that I understand it in my mind and heart. And if you disagree with me, I hope that you will not uh, break fellowship. And if you feel strong, if you feel like I've missed something, I am happy to have a conversation with you. All right? So um, I'm willing to learn on this area. I do not believe that I am an expert on this passage of Scripture. These are some passages that, that I find that the Lord makes me preach because he has me preach through these books, and I keep getting finding these passages, and I say I never would have preached that if it hadn't been that the Lord had seen me preach through the book. But I want to suggest to us three possible attitudes, three possible approaches to difficult passages. Three ways that we can handle a difficult passage. The first way is ignore it and just go on with the way we've always lived. Now that's kind of funny, but we do this almost most frequent. This is probably the one we default to. 
the first time I preached through a book like this, uh, I believe it was the book of Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about predestination. And I preached a message on how I understand predestination. And I had a saintly old lady, I don't know how old she was, but senior, senior, senior saint, great-grandchildren, who said to me, I've never heard preaching on that. I knew it was in the Bible, and I knew we didn't believe it, and so I just accepted it, that we didn't believe that. It's what we do the most often. We just do what we've always done. We just kind of ignore it and keep going. It's why we can, you know, it's, it's interesting. We'll say this. I don't know why they don't live that. It's so clear in Scripture. Well, it's because they've done this. It's they, they've just, they come to this pa a passage, they read it, and they just kind of ignore it because they don't understand it. Another thing that we can do is we can oversimplify it. We can, we can shoehorn, we can force the scripture to say things that it doesn't say. Oftentimes we do this when, it's, when we want the scripture to say what we want it to say. And so we'll oversimplify things and, and uh, you know, it's, it's good to be simple. It really is. It's good to be simple. We, or the third thing we can do is we can look at what all of Scripture says and see if we can somehow try to understand what's being said in a difficult passage. And so I'm going to read some difficult Scriptures. And if you disagree with me tonight, that means you're just going to have to love me more. And, uh, and I will say tonight that I, I preach humbly. I don't preach as an expert. I am not going, uh, I am not taking the position, believe my way or go to hell. I don't believe that. For, for, for one thing, I don't believe I have that authority to even preach that way. All I'm suggesting to you is that I have humbly considered this passage and, um, and I would ask you that if I say something that you disagree with, or even if you agree with me completely, which I don't think will be possible, but if you agree with me completely, that even still you would pray and ask God to show you how he wants you to live this passage. I will say that this passage deals directly with our ladies, but this is not a sermon for our ladies. Uh, and I want to make that clear. I believe as a church, we should have an understanding of our, our approach towards all things. And I think it, as men, we should have an understanding why we believe what we believe on some of these things. And so I am not preaching at the ladies tonight. I'm preaching to all of us so that we can have a better understanding of what God has for us. And if I have any feminist here or listening online, I want you to know that I believe with all my heart, that scriptures and the Lord lifts up women higher than the world ever could. I really believe that. I believe what the feminist movement 
the world has done to our ladies has robbed them of something beautiful and something precious and has tried to shoehorn them into an image that is not what God had planned for them. And so I take that, I take that position, this, and, and if you want to discuss that, that's fine. But he, I, let's stand as, as, as we read this text. And again, let's approach it humbly. Verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. In like manner also, in like manner, let's, we're going back to verse 8, which I, I really probably should have focused more on this last week. I, I would that men pray everywhere. So this was a men thing. I, didn't, I, I wasn't thinking about that last week. And as I was studying out this week, I began to realize that, that Paul's making a distinction here. Men, you need to be praying everywhere. Ladies too. But, but men, this is your responsibility. You're supposed to be the prayer leaders of the church, prayer leaders of the home. Anyhow, in like manner also. So going back to, to include... Now we're going to talk about the ladies that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, charity, and holiness with sobriety. There's a lot of confusing stuff in there, isn't there? Father, I feel like the little child who looks up to his father and screams, help. You know the study, you know the preparation, but most of all, Lord, you know what Paul meant when this was being written. And I would ask, oh, Father, would you help me not to say anything that would hurt our church, hurt our ladies, or our men, or our girls, or our boys. Lord, help me not to say anything that would be contrary to your will. Father, help me not to say anything in pride. But help me, Lord, to be able to speak with the words that you'd have me to say, as you would have me to say them. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I'm going to give you the conclusion first. Is that a little different? I believe the conclusion of this passage, I believe that if you boil down what Paul is trying to say to our ladies is this. Don't be a distraction. Don't be a distraction. When we get when we talk about modesty and and these things, passions are are hot. Women preachers, I mean, you've got the pitchforks out, pro and con. 
I mean, it's just, it's, these things are, people, we hold strongly to positions. And do you know what? I think that a lot of times our passion comes from, I don't know how to say this in such a way that it can be heard tonight, but it comes from what we want it to mean. I think oftentimes our passion comes from the fact that we know that there's some uncertainty there. And so in, where we lack knowledge, where we lack argument, we replace it with passion. People who know their stuff, the people who know how to debate, they know the details, they know the facts, they're calm and cool in the midst of the questions. People who don't know, people who feel like they're on shaky ground, people who, who haven't studied and sure, you know what they do? They lash out. And you can pretty well tell if a person knows what they're talking about by whether they, they start hollering and screaming and carrying on and there's no substance to what they say. I'll say as a pastor, sometimes I get excited and I get worked up, but I hope that I have some substance while I'm worked up. Okay, so, I, so passion can be because we believe it strongly, but oftentimes, oftentimes, passion comes as a result of not realize, really knowing why we hold the position that we do. And this is why we need to teach our children and our young people. It's so that they don't have to just holler and hoot and carry on, but they, they can give an answer for why we do what we do. The conclusion of this, the summary of this passage, don't be a distraction. Paul speaks especially to our ladies, and I would say many of these principles, I think, apply to us as men too. Okay, so, so let, me, let me say that. I think there's some some of the principles apply to all of us, but, but speaking directly to our ladies, ladies, you have a power that you don't realize. You don't understand how powerful you really are. You have the ability to distract both men and women. More so than a man has. For men, we are attracted by the eye. It is, it is, our, it is our kryptonite. The eye is, is, what, is, is where we get much of not just the information that we take in, but also... It is the avenue of, of really to our heart. We say we like to tease that a way to a man's stomach is through his, or to his heart is through his stomach, and there's a lot of truth to that, but really it starts with his eye. It's where it usually starts. And but not only for men, ladies, but other ladies take notice of you and they either become jealous or upset or condescending if they think they're better than you. But you distract not just the men, but you distract the ladies. 
you know, I don't care what Alex thinks about what, my outfit. If we show up both wearing the same outfit, nobody, I don't care. Two ladies show up at an event wearing the same outfit, and I mean, it's a big deal. We guys, man, that's cool. Yeah, I get, my wife got it at Walmart. Man, got a good, you know, and the ladies, you know, oh, she's wearing my outfit. Uh. And you know what's crazy is, is, you know, I'll jump on Yahoo News and I'll, you know, I'm scrolling through the news and the, during the celebrity sec, you know, it doesn't, they don't break it up into nice sections like a newspaper. You just get whatever the headlines and it, and they'll have, who wore it better? And two celebrities wore the same dress. And we got to determine who wore it better. You don't see that in men's wearing the same outfit. It's the women who compare themselves among themselves. And so, ladies, you have, you have power both over men and over women to be a distraction. I'm really trying to choose my words carefully. Forgive me for the pauses. We, we often hear from the feminist, and this first point, this first point tells us, don't be a distraction with our attire, with the way that we, our, our appearance. We hear from the feminist, a woman is not responsible for the thoughts of a man. Feminists say that all the time. And do you know what I would say to that? I think you can be responsible for planting the seed of the thought. It's his, it's his responsibility whether he watered it and nourished it. You can be responsible for planting the seed... Now, listen, there's some guys that it doesn't matter. You could be in a trash bag and they've got problems, all right? I'm not suggesting that we're responsible for every thought that goes through another person's mind. I'm not suggesting that. What I am saying is, is are you dressing in such a way to distract him, to get his attention, to get him to take a second look? Is that the purpose of, the re- of what you're dressing? Are, are you showing off in order to get him to look? Well, yeah, I want him to look, but I don't want him to think. Sister, I'm telling you, probably they aren't thinking. Because <laughs> if they were thinking, they would turn around and run the other direction. We plant the seeds. Ladies, you plant the seeds with how you dress. Of, of in the men, of sensuality, and in the women of jealousy. They can't afford dresses like that. See, this is going on in the church here. They're having this conflict with women showing up. Some of them dressed up in fancy clothes, and they've got other women who are showing up very immodestly. I don't know what the Greek word for it is, and you don't care what it is either. But there was an outfit that was coming into the church. It was called the shower. And basically, it was like, it was like the, the gown, the, the 
the robe that the women would wear, except for it had slits all the way up to the thighs. And this is what Paul is talking about. Ladies were showing up, showing off their slits of their, all the way up to their thighs. And, and Paul's saying, this is not, ought not to be. You ought not to be wearing these kind of outfits that are showing off the legs. Pastor, can we wear slits? I don't know. I don't know if we can wear slits. I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. I am concerned a little bit with slits in general because what they do is they flash the skin when you walk. And it does catch the eye. But I suppose that if your slit is below your knee, I have a hard time proving scripturally you can't. And so I'm not going to tell you thou shalt not because I don't have good scriptural standing for that. But I will tell you, you will not see my wife and, and not my daughters wearing any kind of slit unless maybe it's an inch or two on the very bottom because sometimes that happens. But they, we don't, in our home, we don't wear them because the flash of the skin catches the eye. And it's a distraction. I'm not de-Christianizing you if you wear them. I'm not telling you that you cannot. This, I'm just telling you where we stand and why we stand there. In our home, we don't, our ladies do not wear any kind of slit because of the flash of the skin to catch the attention. If you wear a slit, it ought not to, you, we ought not to be able to see the back of your knee. Because our dresses, ladies, are supposed to be below the knee, whether standing or sitting. The knee is the natural hinge point. It is what protects the torso. And when your skirts, when your dresses show up, up to your, your knee and past your knee, you are sending a message that you want people to look. It's the message. I know this is plain preaching, and I know probably a man should not be preaching it in this day and age. Should be a woman preaching it. Well, we'll get to that it's pretty soon. <laughs> okay, I'm, ju I'm just trying to be plain. I'm trying to be helpful here. Ladies, I know, I know that modest has almost no meaning anymore. Modesty has no meaning anymore. Modesty is determined by culture. And we live in a culture where a two dots and a dash is considered modest. I'm sorry, but there's more letters in, in that need to be put on the sentence. The purpose of our clothes should be to cover it should not be to be discovered. We shouldn't be showing off. I don't think we should dress weird. I believe that Paul is saying here, I don't think we should dress like the Amish. I don't think that's modest because it, it, it catches the eye. We notice right away. I think we're supposed to dress normal. 
And I know the world's getting weirder and weirder and weirder, and we may end up be, becoming, you know, the oddballs out as we try to stay true to Scripture. But I don't think we should, I don't think people should look at us and go, wow, those are weird looking dressed people. What is wrong with them? I don't think so. I think Paul is being very clear here. Ladies, don't dress in such a way to be a distraction. Don't distract the men and don't distract the women with how you dress. And also about your hair. Oh, boy. I'm digging a hole tonight. <laughs> Paul, it's all your fault. If you didn't have to write this to Timothy, I wouldn't have to preach this right now. It says not with broidered hair. And you know what I hear some people say? Well, that means you ought not to braid it. You got to only wear a bun. It says broidered, not braided, huh? Here's what was happening. They were taking strands of gold and weaving it into their hair. They were putting pearls and they were putting ornaments in their hair. They were making their they were making their hair a distraction. Do, do you see what I'm trying to say with the, the whole point of this passage is don't be a distraction? I mean, they're coming into church and they've got beads and they've got gold and they've got, I mean, I mean, you look, take one look at them and say, whoa, what planet did you fall off from? What's with all that stuff? And I know what you've heard. I've heard you've heard preaching that has been just ridiculous, haven't you, on this? Bows that, don't, you know, don't wear big bows and don't do this. No. Listen, what's in your heart? Are you distracting other people? If you're wearing a bow so big that the people behind you can't see the front of the church, your bow's too big, all right? I mean, when I see some of the hats, when the royals get married, some of those hats I believe Paul is talking about. All right? Are you a distraction? Is what your hair in... in uh, intended to cause people to look. I think Paul's also talking about spray painting your hair green and orange and yellow and whatever other crazy color you want to put in it. I think Paul's really talking about that. The principle of don't be a distraction. Don't draw undue attention to yourself. Can a lady put her hair up nice? Can she put it in a braid? Sure. There's no problem with that. But you know, if you're wearing your hair, and folk, let's just be honest, it doesn't even matter. Your hair could pass all the, all the checks and balances that I could even talk about if I was going to just be just ridiculous and just make a, a huge rule book. It could pass all of them, and still the issue of your heart is you're trying to get attention, and it'll still be wrong. That's what I'm trying to talk about. This is not just an outward issue. It's a heart issue. And what's on the heart is reflected on what's on the outside. That's where the issue is. And so that's why I'm not going to quibble with you about your hairstyles and your bows. And I'm not going to quibble with you if you've got your split that, that just shows your calf. I'm not going to fight with you over that stuff. I'm going to ask you what's in your heart. If it's in your heart... To be a distraction, I don't care how plain you're dressed, it's a problem. 
And these ladies came to church with the intention to be having eyes on them. And of all places, in, especially in church, our eyes should be on Jesus, not on, not on the, the pretty lady walking in. And as far as I'm concerned, you're all pretty. I will say this. I do not like how some of the churches preach this and they say, modest is hottest. Bah! That's me vomiting in case you didn't know. Modest is hottest. What in the world? That's still feeding that carnal heart wanting to have attention. If you're dressing modest so that you can be the hottest girl here, so all the holiness guys will be drooling over you how, how modest you are, you still got a heart problem. Lord, help us. I know I'm just being honored tonight. I know it. I'm just trying to preach what Paul was talking about. I'm trying to be faithful to it without getting off on my own opinions. Don't be a distraction with your appearance. Don't be a distraction with your behavior. So that we're supposed to have behavior that is becoming of godliness. Does your behavior distract or is your behavior one of, of pointing to the Lord? You know, you can be dressed perfectly. You can have the nice outfit. You can have perfectly have everything just right. But you can conduct yourself in a sensuous way. You can have a sensuous walk. You can have a sensuous look. And it's not just sensuality. You can be a person that's just hard to get along with. And nobody wants to deal with you because you're just complicated and difficult. And they know it's your way or the highway. That's not godliness. That's not pointing to God. That's pointing to you. Oh. You see, holiness really gets to the heart of issues. It's not about all this other stuff. And our holiness, some of our holiness preachers have failed us in this. They focus on all this out stuff, outward stuff. Folks, it's all about here. It's right in our heart. Is our behavior pointing to God or is our behavior pointing at ourselves? And that's one of the things that I have to, to keep in mind as I'm preaching this message. And that's why I'm so careful about trying not to preach my opinions here is because I don't want to point to me. I don't want to point to, to uh, you know, the Pastor Morford thinks or Pastor Morford says. I want this to be that this is how we understand what God wants and what God says. What I think, in my opinion, doesn't matter. And you should not change your outfit. You should not change your hairstyle because of what Brother Morford says. You should change your outfit or your hairstyle because this is what God says. Had nothing to do with me. The only, per the only ladies here that have to listen to what I, my opinions on dress is my wife and my two girls. And my two girls, will, as soon as they get out of the house, they're going to do what they want anyways. So it is. And this is one of the reasons that I'm trying to instill in my girls, not my values, but I'm trying to teach them this very principle. Get 
for yourself an understanding of what God wants for you. Don't, yes, in this house, you're going to do what I want you to do, but get it for yourself. And if you leave here from my house and you're doing your own thing and you're doing what God wants you to do, I can be satisfied with that, even if it's not what I want. I really hope it's what I want. Because you know what? We're parents, aren't we? And we want our kids to do what we raise them to do. But before, more importantly than them doing what I want them to do, I want them to do what God wants them to do. And I want their behavior to point towards God, not towards themselves, and not towards me. Folks, this is not a cult. You know, I hear sometimes, oh, those holiness people, they're a cult. No, we're not a cult. You're not following the teachings of, of Pastor Morford. You're following the teachings of the Bible. If you're following my teachings, you're, folks, you're, you, I'll lead you astray. I'll do my best not to, but I'm, I'm not smart enough to lead you who, uh, in, my own away, uh, in my own ability. I have to rely on God's word. And I want a behavior, and I want an attitude, and I want an approach that is pointing to God, not pointing to myself. And ladies, especially, as you have the ability to grab the eye of both men and women, let your behavior point towards God. I would ask you, ladies, the Bible tells you to, the older ladies are supposed to teach the younger is your spirituality what you want for our young ladies? Are you conducting yourself in such a way that, that Morgan and, and Eliana and Kelsey and Emery and Ellison and Brianna and Larissa and, and Kiera, are you conducting yourself that you want them to behave just like you behave in this church when they're your age? Are you pointing them towards God? Are you pointing them towards yourself? Because they're looking. They're watching. And whether you're on purpose teaching them or just influencing them by, with the choices you make in front of them, you are determining the direction of our church for tomorrow. By the behavior, whether your behavior points to God or whether your behavior points to me or to yourself. And here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. If we point towards ourselves, we're in danger. We're in danger. And we won't have revival. And our young people won't take the old-fashioned way. They'll find an easier way because this, there won't be anything to this. Don't be a distraction in your appearance. Don't be a distraction in your behavior, and finally, don't be a distraction in church. You see ABC here, so you can remember this, ladies. ABC, your appearance, your behavior, and church. Should a lady be able to testify in church, or should she be in silence? Let's see what Paul has to say. Here's what he tells us. He says in verse 11, tells us, let the woman learn in silence. Ooh. With all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach. 
So we, all of our, our lady Sunday school teachers are out of a job, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. So can a woman testify? Can she teach Sunday school class? Can a woman, can a woman uh, be a representative at an at assembly? Can a, can a woman be a pastor? Can she be serve on the board? You know what happens if we just take this passage? The answer is no. But we're not going to be ignorant people. We're not going to just take one passage and take it out of context. We're going to look at what the whole scripture says. Forgive me for using my notes tonight, but I, I want us to make sure that we get this. Moses' sister Miriam was called a prophet. A lady prophet? Ooh. Deborah, we know, was a judge. Hmm. You know, I've heard some people say, you know, the reason that God had to use women to be, you know, Miriam to be prophet and, and uh, Deborah to be judge is because a man wasn't obeying God. Hogwash. God uses who he will. Hilka. Who knows who, who Hilka is? Any of our, our ladies know who Hilka is? No. Second Chronicles 34.22. She is a woman prophet. How about Joel 2.28? Peter would be quoting this at, at uh, Pentecost when he says that the, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on our sons and our daughters that they would prophesy. Our daughters are going to be prophesying. Prophesying is another word for preaching, by the way. Oh, boy. How about Philip? Anybody remember Philip and, you know, him being the evangelist and going to the Ethiopian eunuch and all that? Everybody remember Philip? You know that he had four daughters who had the gift of prophecy, Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. He had four daughters who were lady preachers. Wow. Well, that, was, that, that, that wasn't Paul. Well, Paul gave instructions in 1 Corinthians 11.5 for women when they prophesied that they were supposed to prophesy with their heads covered. He gave instructions for women preachers that they ought, that they ought to conduct themselves with covered heads when they're preaching. Wait a minute, what? How about when Apollos was taught... Now remember, a woman's not supposed to teach a man. Apollos is taught by Priscilla. How is that possible? A woman's not supposed to teach a man. And Paul commends Priscilla. Oh boy. Or how about in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, where Paul commends Phoebe, calling her a deacon. She's on the church board. Paul, are you schizophrenic? I mean, what's going on? I mean, I just went through how many? Seven, eight women who were either preachers or in leadership? And Paul says that he doesn't he suffers that a woman not to teach a man they're not they're supposed to be silent in church what is going on And at this point I'd love to just walk out the back door and just leave you with that question 
I'm going to, I'm going to make a stab at a guess based on, on the study. And it's this. Women in the church at Ephesus or here where, where Timothy is ministering to, they are becoming problems during the worship service. They're asking questions in the middle. They're interrupting. And now that was common. Men were permitted to do that in synagogue. It'd be a little weird. We're not used to that. Maybe on Wednesday night, yeah, uh, uh, you know, we let a little more, it's a little more like a synagogue the way we try to do most, some Wednesday nights, I don't know what, but, but it was nothing, and if the person didn't like it, they, would ha they could debate. So if they didn't like what was being said at synagogue, um, another man could debate a man right there in synagogue, and they could debate the scriptures together. They could disagree in Christian love, or Jewish love, I guess. And in the service. So you better know your stuff because you were going to get grilled right in front of everybody. What's happening is that some of the women were doing that too. And that was not in Greek and Roman culture permitted. And so here's what's happening. The church, in this church, we have... Ladies who are acting outside of the boundaries of the particular culture that they were in. And what was happening is, is it was a black mark on the church. And so here's, here's what I believe Paul is trying to help us to understand, ladies. In your culture, participate in the service as the culture will allow. You see, there's a lot of people, a lot, especially atheists, who would like to attack Paul in Christianity because Paul didn't abolish slavery. Paul wasn't trying to change the Roman culture. Paul was trying to introduce people to Christ. And even though it was permitted for women to lead and to testify and to, uh, to teach and so forth by God allowing it, and having leadership, what was happening is, is it was hurting the church's testimony because they were acting outside of the cultural norms. You know how Paul says that we're free, and we are, but we ought not to cause a brother to stumble? He talks about that in Corinthians. He's saying this, you can have freedoms that maybe you should not just take part of those freedoms because they could hurt somebody. And it was hurting the church's testimony. Part of the reason was because some of these ladies were not where they needed to be spiritually. They were not sanctified. And it was just further exasperating the issue. And so you've got a, you've got a situation here in this particular community that the ladies are hurting the testimony in the community because they were taking what is, was their right but they were doing it in perhaps a way that they ought not to have because they weren't yet sanctified, but it was hurting their ministry and the culture. I think that we have a harder time understanding that, but I would say if to our, like our missionaries, if we had a missionary uh, listening in, I would say that, that you ought not to dress in such a way as to offend the, the culture that you're ministering to. 
keep your godly Christian principles, but don't violate their cultural norms where it's not a violation of Scripture. Don't be other. Don't be a distraction in the church. So you've got a new person coming in. They're not saved yet, but they've, they've been, you know, been, someone's invited them in, and here's this woman getting up, and she's debating with the pastor. And he says, those Christians, they have unruly women. We in our culture, we just, we, we know how to deal with a woman like that. And you know what's happening is they can't hear the truth because they're so caught up on the cultural problem. And so what about for us today? In our culture, women are celebrated as, as equals with men, and they are equal. Paul says there's neither male nor female. A woman is an equal. There's a distinction of the sexes, and I believe in different roles. But one's not better than the other. And, and I believe that uh, as I understand all of these examples, that ladies have an absolute right to participate in our church through preaching and teaching and testifying and serving on boards. I think as I take in the whole of Scripture, even if I just keep it to the New Testament, I think I've got enough to say that God wants to include our ladies to be a part of the, our church. But I would say also, if you were ever called to, a, to be a missionary to a place where, that was, where a woman was supposed to be silent, then that would probably be wise. So that you don't distract from the message. We will sacrifice rights in order to get the message heard. But in our culture, here in America, here in Altamont, you are welcome. You are welcome to be a part of our church completely and totally in every position. There, I, I don't believe that there's a, a position in our local church that should not be available for our ladies. Now, I will say, well, let me give you an example, okay? I pastored a church. I followed two lady pastors in New York. Godly women, women I love, women that I, that I respect. I revere them. Okay, I don't, have a, I don't have a bad thing to tell you about them, all right? But here's the, here's the situation. In New York, it's a very liberal state where homosexuality is celebrated. And there were people in the community who were making comments about two women living together. And the people in the church would defend them. And they, said, and they would say this to the people in the church, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. Now, I know, and the church people knew, there was nothing happening behind closed doors. But in our culture, especially in New York state culture, two lady pastors living together was hurting the church. And I would say this, that they were right to resign the church, and I think they're on the mission field right now, serving where that's not an issue. Okay, so here's an example from our own culture, or at least, you know, American culture, where was good and it was right and they weren't doing anything wrong, but it was hurting the testimony of the church by having two women in the parsonage. And we ought not to be a distraction in our church.
I hope I've not made any enemies yet. We've got one more complicated passage. The woman's going to be saved by childbearing. Paul, come on. Ladies, you're saved by faith. And you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not saved whether you have children or not. Many, many, many godly women have not had children. Whether it's because they never married, or because they were infertile, or whatever the other case might be. Paul is not saying having a child gets you saved. It has nothing to do with that. What is Paul saying? We're not quite sure. But here's what we think. In those previous, pass- in those previous verses, he's talking about Adam and Eve, right? And how Adam was, uh, Eve was deceived and Adam knowingly sinned. What we think, and this is a stab in the dark, but I think this is accurate, is that what he's saying is, is that because Eve bore a s- children and her children bore children all the way, the Messiah came through childbearing. And we were saved because of the Messiah. And so if all, if, you know, if Eve would have said, I'm not having any children, not going to happen, then humanity would have been lost because Christ could have come through the seed of the woman, through the promise. And so I think, I don't know what this has to do with the rest of this sermon, But I know that someone was going to ask me after the service, well, what does that mean? I think it means ladies having the children so that we could have the Messiah. I think it goes back to Eve and the promise that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. And so what's the the conclusion of the whole matter? Well, one, your pastor's long-winded. I'm trying, folks. I'm trying. But let's not be a distraction, men or ladies. Let's not be a distraction in the way we dress, men or ladies. Let's not be, let's not be a distraction in our, in our appearance. Let's not be a distraction in our behavior. It should be pointing to God, not to us. Let's not be a distraction in our church and in our culture. And sometimes we may have to surrender some rights. I know as Americans we don't want to do that, but we may have to surrender some rights that we can win people to the Lord. I want to do that. I want to do that. If I say anything that offended you tonight, I want you to know that I still love you, and I'm probably wrong, and you're probably right. But I'm happy to talk with you. Let's stand together. Amen. And I'm going to ask Sister Ruth. I'm going to ask a lady. to. to that seems fitting, doesn't it? Ask Sister Ruth that she dismisses in prayer.